Well, good morning. What's up? Friday morning. I bet you thought that we would never, ever get here. It's been quite a week, and I I really hope that under God, it's been a week in which you've grown in your knowledge of God, but oh so much, I hope, not just in your knowledge of God. I really hope and have been praying, as many of us have been praying, that we would grow in our love of him, in our trust in him, in our joy in him. And in that way, I trust that this week has been a really significant spiritual experience for you, as the Spirit has been taking the Word of God and inscribing it deeply on your heart and mind. It has, it has been for me, and I hope for you, a real privilege to be here. I've been really blessed and encouraged by my conversations with many of you. I've been really helpfully uh, pushed by your questions to go back to God's Word and try to understand it in all humility. It's just such a privilege, actually, to wrestle with you on these wonderful truths of Scripture. Well, uh, one thing that I do want to just mention is I did receive something, though, through the question box which uh, concerned me greatly. Not so much a question as an um, announcement. Um, I shared probably foolishly on the first day of my very first Ancon experience where someone's underwear was indeed, and I realise that's not on the tape, but this will be, uh, underwear was raised up the flagpole and I received this note. Dear Rowan, since you mentioned your fear of having your underwear up a flagpole, we were going to pinch a pair tonight. However, since we consulted several senior staff, we have decided against it. <laughs> I love, I love my colleagues. <laughs> yes. Therefore, would you please ask a Mr. Joel Rater to step outside and head to his room to make sure that he still has all his underwear? <laughs> Now, Joel tells me that uh, he caught wind of this, um, and I, I didn't get it till after the question time, so I was meant to read that out during question time. He caught wind of it, uh, r- rushed outside, and indeed, his underwear was hoisted high, shall we say. <laughs> uh, the delicious irony of it, of course, is that Joel was part of the gang that was going to raid my room. <laughs> And I, what I take comfort in is the fact that I knew nothing about this, but the Lord was in control. <laughs> the other delicious irony is, of course, that Joel Rader was the only other person, I think, here who was at the same Ancon I was at. Joel was actually there. Yes, 21 years ago. He's not actually a vampire who lives forever, in case you're wondering. <laughs> It's because he was actually there as a one-year-old child because it turns out his... Yes, well, yeah, I mean, I guess he's like a vampire. He's dashingly handsome, so, you know. But he, he was there as a one-year-old, believe it or not, at that very first Ancon. So there's some delicious irony that he decides in this sort of, you know, way to steal my underwear and uh, it just comes to... I just love it all. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. But then, of course, Joel spoke to me just before and he said, Rowan, be kind. I thought, oh, the spirit, the fruit of the spirit, kindness. Oh, well, I guess I quenched that spirit. (laughs) Now I'm in deep poo. (laughs) Okay. Uh, We want to briefly just touch on something that we talked about last night, which was, uh, I tried to think of a name with the sort of mission gangs idea we talked about at the end of last night. We had 10, remember, 10 of these mission gangs. Something very exciting has happened since then. So we we had these 10, the Arab world, student ministry overseas, people with disabilities, Muslims in Australia and overseas, honoured battlers, 
Italy, the Academy, Taiwan, uni students in Australia and China. Well, since, since we said that just last night, 10 other people have come up individually and just said, that's fantastic, but that's not where my heart is. I've got my heart's on these other things. And so now we've got another 10 that are wanting to start, which is just fantastic. Um, because I'm praying that in all humility under God, he might do something with us. Because we just want to serve him and we just want to love this world that he has made with the gospel of Christ. And so that we might just offer ourselves in his service, however he will use us, with the passions and the gifts and even the weakness that we have. And so I don't know where this will go. And uh, your, your thing may not be up here, but, but if you've got a passion, then I just want to say, go for it. If you say, I've, I've decided to, to reach those origamiists, then, then go for that. Pray about it. Find some other people who also want to reach people who love origami. And then pray about it and commit to praying for it and then think about it. Could you actually be used by God, even in a full-time way, to bring the gospel to those people? Go for it. You don't need it to be organised for you. In fact, we have so not organised this. <laughs> we sort of tried to just say, could we sort of just organise a few as a catalyst to see what God might do by his spirit amongst us in his worldwide global harvest for the next 70 years? And I, I, I think it's very exciting. So here, here are the other 10 that came up. The other 10. Someone said, children's ministry. I am, he said, I'm just dead set passionate about children's ministry. If that's you, friend, if you go, well, yeah, I'm, I'm, pretty, I'm pretty keen on children's ministry, then why don't you join with this guy and you pr- meet with them and pray together and think about could you serve, him, serve the Lord in a full-time capacity in this particular way? Uh, someone else said youth ministry. Someone else said rural, remote, uh, and, the, and indigenous people within Australia, which I think is fantastic. I, there's a great book up on the bookstall, which now doesn't exist. No, the bookstall's gone. But there was a great book up there on that during the week. I hope some of you bought it. South Africa. Africa. <laughs> we'll, we'll make that the rest of Africa. <laughs> the poor and marginalised in Sydney. Southwest Sydney. The Scout Association. I think this is great. Someone just said, look, this is what's on my heart. This is what I want to reach. These are the people that I have a heart for. I want to reach with the gospel of Jesus. Fantastic. Great. France. The Spanish-speaking world. So that's sort of Spain and maybe, and also South America. If any of those, you think, yeah, man, that's, that's, that sounds great. Why don't you commit to praying for the next three years? For ministry in that area and think about, commit to thinking about, yes, maybe I could go. Now, some people have said, oh, can I join four? Sure, I mean, go for it. That's fantastic. It may be that down the track you go, this has been great. I, I've prayed for it, you know, been committed to praying for these ones for a while and four is getting too much. So you might decide to just move into just one or two or that's fine. Just do it graciously. Just Make sure you're always in good fellowship with the people with whom you're, you're meeting to pray and that sort of stuff. Anyway, we'll, I'll keep those up for a little bit uh, and then we'll try and put them up again at the end if you don't get them. And we'll work out some way, we'll work out some way of getting that information out in an appropriate way. Probably not through the website, but some other way. Okay, well, now I actually have a game for you. Woo! Okay. Just to get your minds ticking over, to warm up your fingers on a cold morning, turn to page 48 of your book. Each of my talks this week have had a subtitle. You can see them all there on page 48. A new spirit I will put within you. The spirit of the Lord is upon me. My words are spirit and life a dwelling place for God, pursue love and strive for spiritual gifts. And this talk, top of the page, abounding in hope by the power of the Spirit. Right? See those? The subtitles. In a way, those headings are actually, I picked them deliberately because they're meant to be a bit of a handle for you on the content of this conference. In some ways, if you, if you could just remember those 
headings, those subheadings, you've at least got a big picture of who the Spirit is and what he's doing. And the great things about those subheadings is that they're all quotes or very close to near quotes from verses from the Bible. So you're remembering not the structure of the talks, you're actually remembering what the Bible says about the Spirit. So this is a challenge. I want you to work in groups of four or so around you. Actually, I'm going to say no more than four. All right? No more than four. Make sure no one though is left out. It's a team challenge, and the first seven teams to do the challenge win. So when, you, when you've done it, your team, whole team has to stand up and let us know that you've finished. They win a significant prize. They win our group respect. <laughs> so you're just doing this for the absolutely fleeting glory of winning. So this is what you're going to do. You've got the subheadings, Shh, the Bible quotes there in front of you on page 48. And I'm going to put up on the screen a list of Bible verses. You need to match the Bible references in order of the talks. I want you to rearrange these Bible verses in order so they match the order of the talks. You've got to have it so you can call out the letters in the right order. One. Awesome. What the rest are you doing? Okay, stay standing. Two. Three. Four. Five. Are you sure? Six. Seven. Keep going, keep going. Hey, look, if you're standing up, you shouldn't still be looking at Bible verses. All right, lots of people standing up. Lots of people standing up. Great, excellent work. Sit down. I'll give you the order. Here you go. The correct order is Ezekiel 36, verse 26. So it was D, then Isaiah 61, verse 1, B, uh, which is also quoted in Luke 4, 18. Uh, then John 6, 63, so E, then Ephesians 2, 22, that's F. Then 1 Corinthians 14, 1, that's A, and Romans 15, 13, verse C. Well done. Okay, now, the problem is this. Look on the page there. Look on the page. You can see there I've tried to write a one-sentence summary under each talk heading there on page 48. You see it? As I looked at those summaries again last week, because I wrote those summaries quite a while ago, I realised they're missing something. What do you think those summary sentences are missing? Read it, think. Jesus? Come on, read it again. Are you sure? Is that right? Oh my goodness. The problem was where is Jesus? In an effort to bring down a 
bring down things to a single sentence, and because I was trying to be as clear as I possibly could about the Spirit in particular, Jesus didn't write a mention in a single sense. Well, he's mentioned just once, in almost, almost in a glancing way. Now, of course, I haven't forgotten about Jesus, but it's sometimes well-meant attempts to clarify, to speak with clarity about the Spirit that actually starts this slide into a dangerous place where we focus on the Spirit instead of listening to and being obedient to the Spirit because the Spirit wants us to glorify Jesus. So, I've actually modified all those sentences. Uh, The problem is it's just not in your book. It's in mine. Um, And I'm not trying to be legalistic here, right? Get this clear. I'm not trying to be legalistic. I'm not saying every time you you mention the Spirit, you need to mention Jesus. That's just silly and that's just trite. But nor am I trying to water down our understanding of the Spirit by, you know, as though we're, we're trying to continually put the Spirit back into a box of our own sort of comfortable, conservative, evangelical position. I'm not trying to sort of, say, depower the truths about the Spirit by putting Jesus back in either. I want to grab hold of these wonderful truths about the Spirit, but I, I don't want to have that sort of working at odds against a focus on Jesus. That is the answer ultimately has to be, you have to have a Trinitarian grasp of the Spirit that captures his self-effacing magnificence. So I've modified my summary statements a bit. Not watered them down, but actually beefed them up with some meaty truth and goodness. So this is how I modify it. Monday morning, the Spirit of Promise. God addresses our problem of his absence, sorry, our problem of his absence of death and of sin with the promise of his spirit and his Messiah. You go, yeah, that's right. That's actually what we said in that talk. Monday night, the spirit of the Father and the Son. I've added a whole sentence at the beginning. Jesus comes as the great spirit-empowered leader who then pours out his spirit from the Father on his followers. Jesus comes as a great spirit-empowered leader who pours out the spirit from the Father on his followers. And then we saw that the spirit is God himself, personally present, distinct but never separate to the Son and the Father and always self-effacing. Tuesday night, the spirit of life. The irreplaceable spirit, active at every stage of God's mission to bring life to his death-bound creatures through faith in, his, in Jesus, his son. Through faith in Jesus, his son. Wednesday night, the spirit of holiness. The spirit is God's powerful, holifying presence in our lives in which, and, and see, I, I'd slipped into sort of a non-personal sort of talk about the spirit there. What was I doing? That should be in whom, surely, not in which. The Spirit is a person, not a thing. The Spirit is God's powerful, holy-fine presence in our lives in whom we walk and bear fruit and through whom we put to death the deeds of the flesh. And then I've added, and in whose power we are being transformed into the image of the Lord Jesus. And in whose power we are being transformed into the image of the Lord Jesus. And then last night, the spirit of love. The spirit empowers and equips us as the body of Christ to love one another as Christ has loved us using the gifts for ministry that the spirit gives. See, that's richer, isn't it? Isn't that richer? Isn't that more true? Isn't that actually more glorious? And really, just that, what we've just sort of summarized, that is enough, right? That, just such amazing things that God's doing in us already, in his Son, by his Spirit. But to stop right now, whilst there would be much relief all around, but to actually stop right now would be like setting out to climb Mount Everest... And you go through base camp, 
and then you get to advanced base camp, and then you get to camp one and camp two, and finally you get all the way up to camp three, and you're ready to tackle the final pitch up to the summit, the final morning. And you stop it there at camp three and you look around and you think, man, this is high. This is really high. And the view here is amazing. I've never seen such vision like this before. This is cool. So let's head back. Turn around at camp three. No, no, you don't want to stop now. The most glorious bit is still ahead. The final pitch to the summit. That's what we're going to do now. Because according to God in the scriptures, our experience now of the Spirit is just the beginning. Our experience now of the Spirit is just the beginning. So you see heading one there. But wait, there is a whole lot more to come. So we're going to let God be our Sherpa through his word. And he's going to take us up this final pitch to the glorious summit. We're going to take a little look around. Now, I know many of you are tired, so we have a rule on Friday mornings. The Friday morning Ancon talk rule is this. If you are sleepy, then, like me, you stand up. Studies have shown that it is much more difficult to fall asleep when standing up. Especially if you're not holding on to anything. So if you're feeling sleepy, you don't want to miss out on the view from the top of the mountain, right? You can say, oh man, I slept through that. So if you're starting to doze, this is what I want you to do. Just, just stand up, move to the edges, just stand and listen for a while. And then when you sort of think, yep, I'm, I'm on board here, I'm back on. Sit down, but just grab a seat near the edge, right? Don't come push back through and disrupt everybody. We always have plenty of standers in this final session. And it's just, that's cool, it's good. No, I'm standing already, so you won't be alone, so we'll just go with it. Okay, we're going to head up the final ascent. Here we go. First, the spirit as Arabon, or guarantee. Have a look at the first passage there in your book, 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 21. In, the, in the, this one sentence, there are three different descriptions of the spirit in our life. Paul says, 2 Corinthians 1, 21. But it is God who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us by putting his seal on us and giving us his spirit in our hearts as a first installment. Or the the Greek word there is arabon. The first two descriptions of the spirit we've seen before. God anoints us with his spirit. He pours it out on us as a way of sort of marking us out, setting us apart, marking us out as holy. But also we saw the Spirit is God's seal on us. It's his identifying mark that we belong to him. We've seen those already. The third description of the Spirit there is that he is Arabon in our hearts. This word Arabon is sometimes translated, you can see it there on your page, as down payment or deposit. So like the first instalment of a total amount that's due. But the sense of the word is it's a guarantee. It's like a non-refundable deposit. It it is absolutely certain that the rest will come. It's a guarantee. So God putting his spirit onto your heart is his guarantee to you that there is much, much more to come. It's not an indication, it's not just an indication that there is more, but it's actually this guarantee that the more to come will come to you. So the spirit's present presence in your life points forward to this certain coming future. Not a possible future, you know, like, well, maybe I'll graduate or, or maybe I'll be famous. No, this is a sure and certain future that is coming your way like a glorious truck. That's what the Spirit is. That's who He is in your life. God's personal guarantee to you of this future to come. What is the future that the Spirit is guaranteeing? Have a look there, Ephesians 1.13. In Him, that's Christ, in Him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and have believed in Him, you were marked with the seal of the promised Holy Spirit. We've seen that. 
This is the pledge. There's that same word, Arabon. This is the pledge of our inheritance towards redemption as God's own people to the praise of his glory. So the Spirit is a guarantee there in verse 14 of our inheritance to come. Let me draw a really poor analogy for you because I specialise in these. Um, Imagine Alex, who's been serving us by leading us in uh, singing God's praises this week. Imagine Alex was the richest person in the world. She's smiling now, right now. Her net worth is measured in billions. And you, now you've got to work with me here, right? You are her child. Okay, not all of you, but sort of you as an individual. Now, I'm, I'm sure, by the way, that Alex would be an absolutely fantastic mum and sort of uncorrupted by her obscene wealth. Um, Anyway, as her child, you're named there in her will as her heir. You are the one who will inherit her billions. That's pretty cool. But Alex yet hasn't gone to glory. So at the moment, you don't have all that worth. It's not yours. It's your inheritance that's still to come. But in the meantime, Alex has given you, her beloved child, a platinum American Express card with access to her bank account. Now, you don't yet enjoy all the fruits of Alex's wealth. One day you will inherit all that she has in store for you, but at the moment you do have this Amex card as a guarantee of that greater inheritance still to come. Well, the Spirit is something like that. It's a guarantee, a guarantee of the inheritance that God has set aside for us. What is that inheritance? Well, it was there in verse 14. Redemption as God's own people. Or literally it reads, redemption as God's own possession. Paul's using the language here of down payments, of redemption. That is, you know, when you pay money to redeem something. Of property, all of which are connected Our great inheritance is to be finally redeemed by God, bought back as his own. And what we're looking forward to is to be fully owned by God. And the Spirit is God's Arabon. It's his guarantee that that is indeed going to be the case for you. But we can give it even more specific shape. Arabon's used again in 2 Corinthians 5 verse 5. I'll read from verse 1 though. For we know that if the earthly tent we live in is destroyed... Now... Friends, he's not talking about camping, right? The earthly tent. He's not talking about camping. He's talking about our present physical body using a metaphor of tents. He's saying, we know this earthly tent that we live in is destroyed. We have a building from God, a house, not made with hands, a house eternal in the heavens, For in this tent we groan, longing to be clothed with our heavenly dwelling. If indeed when we take take off this tent, we will be not found naked. For while we are still in this tent, we groan under our burden, because we wish not to be unclothed, but to be further clothed, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. He who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who has given us the Spirit as Arabon, as a guarantee. Paul's talking about resurrection. This is our longing for physical life that surmounts death. The, the resurrection that Jesus enjoyed, for which we groan and we long, and one day it will be our experience too. And Paul says, you can be absolutely certain that what happened to Jesus is going to happen to you when Christ returned. Absolutely certain. How come? Because God's given us the Spirit as an Arabon, a guarantee. The Spirit is God's personal guarantee to you who are in Christ by faith of your coming inheritance, your completed redemption as God's own possession, including your future bodily resurrection from the dead. The grave will not be your final resting place. It will not if you're in Christ. You will live. 
as he did. Another way the Spirit is talked about is as the Spirit as first fruits of these greater blessings to come. Romans 8.22 We know that the whole creation has been groaning in labour pains until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit. You might like to underline that. We who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly while we wait for adoption, the redemption of our bodies. For in hope we were saved. What's our present experience to be like? Well, Paul says here, our present experience is inward groaning. Now, I make my kids eat wheat bix every morning, well, Monday to Friday. They have to eat wheat bix Monday to Friday. Um, and I'll tell you what, they don't like that. And every morning, what I hear is, well, it's not really groaning, it's moaning, actually. <laughs> and actually, it's not very inward either. So maybe it's not a good analogy. Anyway, the sort of groaning here in verse 22 is the groaning of labour pains. Now, it's not until you've been to a labour ward and heard women in the throes of labour pains that you probably understand just how much labour and pain are in labour pains. But the point here isn't the pain, actually. The point is that labour pains point forward to the new birth that's about to come. And Paul's point is that the whole of God's creation is groaning in labour pains. It's, in the, it's the groaning pain that says, come on, come soon, come quickly, hurry up. It's a groaning that is looking forward. Paul says that as Christians, we groan inwardly while we wait. There is a deep longing for the fulfilled promises and plans of God in us. Paul says there, verse 24, in hope we were saved. There's a fundamental forward-lookingness to being a Christian. And it's there too in the description of the Spirit as the first fruits. First fruits are just like what they sound the first fruits of the harvest. The whole point of first fruits was that there's a greater abundance. The rest of the harvest is just about to come. And the first fruits are a genuine taste of what's to come. But also the abundance of the full harvest to come far surpasses just the first fruits. The Spirit is in your life as first fruits. It's just a taste. It's just a taste of the greatness to come. What's the rest of the harvest then that's going to come? What's the rest of the harvest for which we groan inwardly? Well, it's described there as adoption. Final and complete inclusion into the perfected family of God. And resurrection of our bodies, we're told. That is, once again, the future physical resurrection from the dead is on view. Now, if you turn over the page, there's a diagram there, which meant to help you. Down the bottom of the next page... We live between the two great R's, like letter R's, the resurrection of Jesus and the return of Jesus. That's where we live, between these two great R's. You could say, I guess, the resurrection of Jesus and the general resurrection of the dead, since that coincides with the return of Jesus. We live between these two great events in this overlap of the ages. There's the age, you can see there, of sin and death, which in one very real sense... In one very real sense, it came to an end, actually, with the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. Since sin and death have been defeated in Jesus' death and resurrection. And Jesus' death and resurrection mark the start of the new age, the new covenant age, the great blessing of which is the indwelling spirit of God. But as we've seen this week, sin and death have not yet been fully eradicated. Defeated, yes, but not fully eradicated. And the final end of sin and death awaits the return of Jesus, the second R, and the final judgment. But the great mission of God, if you like, is in the overlap of the ages, and we sang about it in one of the songs just there, 
that his patience means salvation. How come the second R, the return of Jesus, hasn't happened already? Because God is being patient. Because his great mission, as we've seen in his life, is to lift people from the power of sin and death to the power of the Spirit. To rescue people from the kingdom of darkness and transfer them into the kingdom of light. He's moving people from the bottom line to the top line. So put some big arrows there. Because every time someone becomes a Christian through faith in Christ, they are, they're being trans, transferred by God from one line to the other in this overlap of the ages. This is the wonderful mission of God that's just been right through our week. And that's because it's, it's, the, great, it's the great reality of this, of this whole world. God's mission to bring life in power, in his presence, to his creatures, wherever they are in the world. That's what all our prayers for revival are about. That's what the whole mission gang's idea is about, bringing life as partners in the mission of God. Okay, well, back to the top of that particular page, just focus in on this idea of resurrection. When we turn our attention to the future resurrection, we see that it is a spiritual resurrection. First thing you note is that the Spirit is the Father's agent in raising us from the dead. How are you going to be raised from the dead? By the power of the Spirit that is in you. Romans 8.11 If the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you... He who raised Christ from the dead will give life to your mortal body also through his spirit that dwells in you. So it's a spiritual resurrection in the sense that the spirit is powerfully at work to effect our resurrection from the dead. But it's also a spiritual resurrection in another way. Our resurrection bodies will be spirit-powered. Have a look there at 1 Corinthians 15. Verse 42, listen to the contrast Paul draws between our present physical bodies and the future resurrection bodies. He says, so it is with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown, that is what dies, is perishable, but what is raised is imperishable. What is sown in dishonour, it is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness, it is raised in power, it is sown a physical body or a pasukikos body, but it is raised a spiritual, a pneumaticos body. Just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we will also bear the image of the man of heaven, that is Jesus himself. Now you read there, it's, it's sown, our body dies, a physical body, it's raised a spiritual body. It can seem like the resurrection body is maybe non-physical, right? Die, physical, raise, spiritual. Well, that's actually, it's not the case that the resurrection body is not physical. It is. It's a physical, spiritual body. What do I mean? Well, have a look there. Paul's used the same contrast earlier in the same letter. We saw this on Tuesday night from 1 Corinthians 2. He says, those who are, and he uses the same word, pasukikos, do not receive the gifts of God's Spirit, for they are foolishness to them, and they are unable to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. Those who are pneumaticos discern all things, and they are themselves subject to no one else's scrutiny. So the contrast there between psukikos and pneumaticos, they're both people with real physical bodies. He's talking about believers and unbelievers. So the contrast in chapter 15, when he uses the same words, it can't actually be between a physical body and a non-physical body. What he's talking about in chapter 15 is how is the resurrection body and the current physical body powered? What's its energy source? What drives it? What moves it? And he says your resurrection body is, is powered and energized and moved and driven by the Spirit of God himself. I'll give you an example. Think of a steam train. A steam train is not made of steam. No, of course not. A steam train is not made of steam, but it's powered by steam. It's energised by steam. It's driven, motivating force 
is steam. The spiritual body with which we'll be raised. It's not saying it's made of spirit. It's saying it's driven by the spirit of God. Energised, motivated by the spirit of God. At the resurrection, friends, when Jesus returns, we will have these spiritual bodies. Real, physical bodies, imperishable, glorious, no longer troubled by sin, no longer under temptation, no more pain, no more suffering, no more death, will be driven, powered, energised by the Spirit in a way that even with our current first fruits of the spirits, we, we, we just do not have that reality yet. But it sounds good, doesn't it? Don't you think, yeah, that sounds really good. I want that. That's, yeah, because that's the hope that God gives you in Christ. And that's what his spirit is making you long for. Because what the spirit does in us, as you can see in the next heading, the spirit empowers hope for this future. Now this verse here has become a really important and helpful truth from God for me personally. Romans 15, 13. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that you may be abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, I got so excited by the truth of this verse that I drew a diagram. I know if I'd studied the humanities, I probably would have written you a poem. But I guess you can take the man out of engineering, but you can't take the engineer out of the man. And so I got so excited, I drew a diagram. May the God of hope... That is, God is the author of our hope. He is the builder of, what, of that for which we hope. It's his promise and his plan in which we hope. And the moment at which that hope will be realised is, you see there in the diagram, the return of Jesus. He's the God who has created this hope for us. May the God of hope fill you, that is now, in the present, with all joy and peace in believing. Now, I reckon we... we just reading the verse again there, we probably should add another arrow, actually, from the diagram, going from the person back towards God and label it faith, believing. We believe, we trust in this God, and in the present, he fills us with all joy and peace. Not because it's so good now, no, he's the God of hope. But because he has this hope for us, this sure, certain future for which we long and groan inwardly, that's how we're filled in the present with all joy and peace. We know our future is secure and we long for it and it will come so that you may abound, he goes on, in hope by the power of the Spirit. Abounding in hope. Graham Cole summarises our situation there. God's people live in hope as we live in the tension of the now of firstfruits but the not yet of glorification. You may well be saying at this point, you know, I don't feel so full of joy. I don't feel so full of peace. And my hope, frankly, you're talking big, but my hope's pretty pedestrian. It ain't abounding. So why isn't the Spirit doing his thing in me? That's a great question. I feel the force of that question. I feel it in myself. But did you notice that what Paul says there in Romans 15, 13 is actually a prayer? It's actually a prayer. He's praying for them that this would be their present experience. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that you abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. It's a prayer for the Spirit's work in their life. And the New Testament actually has quite a few prayers like this. And we're going to finish our week together by reflecting briefly on three of them. We're going to have a break, stand up, stretch your legs, and then we'll finish with that.
I want to say to you, I want to say to you, welcome. Welcome to I want to say welcome to you. Welcome to the summit. You you were so sleepy you didn't realize we got here. One person talked about the work of the spirit in this way. He talked about it as the glow of the coming dawn. The glow of the coming dawn. We stand on the summit, friends, right now. Seeing what we've seen and seeing the glow of the coming dawn in terms of all that God, Father, Son and Spirit is doing and will do in us, in Christ, through His Spirit, to the glory of God the Father. And finally, after a whole week, we've sort of reached the summit and now we've, we see it all. We see it. We've covered the whole big story. I mean, there's many details you can go and, and fill in and I guess that's what we'll do for the rest of our days is fill in the picture. But now you've reached the summit, what are you going to do? I mean, it's not the peak because we know that there's actually great, great glories to come. But what do we do now? Well, that's why I want to finish with this. Pray for the Spirit's work in our lives. Pray for the Spirit's work in our lives. Three prayers that Paul writes for Christians. Ephesians 1, verse 17 to 23. Paul writes, I pray that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit, and I, I think just that's Numa, it should be a capital S spirit there, may give you a spirit, capital S, of wisdom and revelation as you come to know him, so that with the eyes of your heart enlightened, you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance among the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power for us who believe according to the working of his great power. God put this power to work in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age but also in the age to come. And God has put all things under his feet and has made him the head over all things for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Here's a prayer for the work of the Spirit in our lives, yours and mine. Here's a prayer we should make it our own for ourselves and for each other. Paul prays for the Spirit who brings, notice it there, verse 17, wisdom and revelation. But he gives it very specific content. What sort of wisdom and revelation is he talking about? He says, verse 18, so that... With the eyes of your heart enlightened, you may know, and there's two things that he wants people to know. First, verse 18, that you may know what is the hope to which he's called you. Just like Romans 15, 13. But he specifies what that hope is. He says, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance among the saints? God wants us to know just how blessed is the inheritance that he stored up for us. By grace. He wants you to know just how rich, how glorious it is. Through the Spirit, He wants you to know that hope. Second, verse 19, He prays they'll have this spirit of wisdom and revelation so that they'll know, verse 19, what is the immeasurable greatness of His power for us who believe. Paul here is pulling on the superlatives, right? He's trying to articulate the boundless the immeasurable greatness of his power for us who believe. And he shows you just what God's power does. It was the power at work that raised Jesus from the dead and installed him as Lord of all. Now that's a fair bit of power that we're talking about, right? That's not just a few cans of V. 
That's not, that's not even some sort of Tour de France steroid injection. It's the power of God that smashed death. Now, death is a pretty strong power. You and I have got no hope against death. It takes every one of us. It takes every single human being who's ever lived. God smashed death by raising Jesus from the grave, never to die again. That's power. And installed him as universal Lord. Gave him over every power and authority and dominion and every name in every age, now and in the age to come. That is God's power. Immeasurably great. It's a power at work in you. Paul wants them to know by the spirit of wisdom and revelation the immeasurable greatness of his power for you who believe. See, are you too weak to live for Jesus? Are you too weak to stand for him? Are you too weak to really put things on the line and make sacrifices to serve him for decades to come? Paul prays, Father of glory, give them a spirit of wisdom and revelation so they might know the hope, the riches of your glorious inheritance and the immeasurable greatness of your power for all of us who believe. What a great prayer to pray. A bit later on in Ephesians 3, Paul prays again, for this reason, he says. Now, oh, sorry, I realise some of you have a misprint in your book. Some of you, are, for some reason, we jump to somewhere else on the next page. Who's got that problem? A number. Okay, sorry about that. The next passage, I'll tell you, is Ephesians 3, 14 to 19. Ephesians 3, 14 to 19. Let me read it out to you. Paul's still, same letter, praying about power. He says, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth takes its name. I pray that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant that you may be strengthened in your inner being with power through the Spirit, and that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith as you are being rooted and grounded in love. I pray that you may have the power to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge so that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. So verse 16 there, he prays to our Father they'll be strengthened in their inner being with power through their spirit. I think that sounds pretty good. I'm happy to have that prayer prayed for me and I want to pray it for you. You'll be strengthened in your inner being with power through the spirit. But power for what? He says two things. Power, first of all, power that, verse 17, power that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. That is, he's praying for strengthened faith in Jesus. Do you want to have strengthened faith in the Lord Jesus Christ? I do. So pray to be strengthened in your inner being with power through the Spirit that your faith in Jesus might be strong. But secondly, power to, verse 17, verse 18, sorry, he prays that they'll have power to know the love of Christ that is beyond knowing. Now, I just thought, Paul, that's just a bit ridiculous, right? To know what is beyond knowing. Maybe he wrote this letter too late at night. Maybe it was 2 a.m., just that time when things seem to have a clarity that they don't have in the harsh, cold light of day. Like many of those essays and assignments you've done over the last semester. No. Maybe he was actually inspired by the very Spirit of God, and I, I tend to think that's it, actually. I pray, he says, that you may have power to comprehend with all the saints what's the breadth and the length and the height and the depth to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. See, God's love for you in Jesus is more than you will ever know. Oh, I know that we think we understand it. I've read Cross of Christ Man, I've read that big whopping time. I understand the love of God for me in Christ. Well, shut up. Just shut up. Shut up and listen to God for a moment. To know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. 
that you might have the power through the Spirit in your inner being to grasp just more clearly the sheer immensity of his love for you seen in Jesus, in his death for you as our representative and our substitute, to know the immensity of his love for us. The final prayer is uh, Colossians 1, 9 to 12. Colossians 1, 9 to 12. Paul says, For this reason, since the day we heard it, we have not ceased praying for you and asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of God's will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so that you may lead lives worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, as you bear fruit in every good work and as you grow in the knowledge of God. May you be made strong with all the strength that comes from his glorious power. And may you be prepared to endure everything with patience while joyfully giving thanks to the Father who has enabled you to share in the inheritance of the saints in the light. Two things he says here. May you be two things. May you be first. Verses 9 to 10. Paul prays that they may be filled through the Spirit with knowledge of God's will for them. He's not talking about what career you should have. He's not talking about who you should marry. He's not talking even about what mission gang you ought to join with. His will for you is holiness, verse 10, so that you may lead a life worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God. Be filled with the knowledge of God's will for you in terms of holiness. So you live a life that pleases him through the Spirit. And second, may you be, in verses 11 and 12, may you be made strong with all of his glorious power to endure everything with patience, joyfully giving thanks to him who's graciously granted you to share in this great future sure inheritance for which we hope. Friends, that's a picture of what the Spirit, a partial picture, you've got to add to it everything else we've looked at this week, but here is a picture of what the Spirit is doing in our life now as we wait for the day of Jesus' return. God's Spirit is powerfully at work in us so that we might abound in hope. So, friends, let's pray for each other. In fact, let's pray for all of our worldwide brothers and sisters in Christ that through the Spirit they might come to know our hope in Christ, that we might know his great power for us, that his power would strengthen our faith in the Lord Jesus, that his power would help us to know the love of Christ that's really beyond comprehending, that we'd be filled with a knowledge of his will so we can live life fully for him, so we'd be strengthened to endure everything with patience and joy and thanks as we wait for the glories to come when the Lord Jesus comes in glory. So let's pray. Breathe on me, breath of God. Fill me with life anew that I may love what you do love and do what you would do. Breathe on me, breath of God, until my heart is pure, until my will is one with yours to do and to endure. Breathe on me, breath of God, till I am wholly yours, until this earthly part of me glows with your fire divine. Breathe on me, breath of God, so shall I never die, but live with you the perfect life of your eternity. Gracious, loving, Holy Father, we praise you for your mighty grace to us, your wayward creatures, 
in granting us life through your Son, Jesus, in the power of your Spirit. Father, fill us afresh with your Spirit that we might know you, love you, serve you, and glorify you till we see the Lord Jesus face to face. Empower us by your Spirit because we know that this is the way of life that you have called us to and we rejoice in it. In Jesus' name, amen.